It's back to business for MPs in the House of Commons as the Liberals took the wraps off their agenda with the throne speech. Now, the Liberals do carry a minority into the House, which means they will need the support of another party to get anything accomplished. The opposition parties grumbled about the contents and the direction, but with the pandemic still here, supply chain issues costing us on everything, and the destruction in BC from flooding, there is no shortage of starting places for this government. What should be their first priority? Hello and welcome to Unpublished TV. I'm Ed Hand. Unpublished.vote question asked you, which government priority do you want addressed first? Vaccinations, paid sick leave, $10 a day child care, ban on conversion therapy, indigenous reconciliation, military reform, COP26 commitments, other or none of the above. And however you're watching and listening to our show, whether through our social media channels on Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, or podcast channels, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and more, I'd like to remind you, you can still cast your vote on this topic at unpublished.vote and then email your MP to tell them why. And looking at our uh, unpublished.vote vote, uh, None of the above and other dominated, and most of the write-ins on other were for inflation. Vaccinations led the way in the rest of 13%. Now, joining us to discuss the priorities of Parliament, pleased to be joined by Daryl Bricker. He's the CEO of Ipsos Public Affairs. Marvin Ryder is with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Stephanie Schwinnard is Assistant Professor of Political Science at Queen's University. And Warren Kinsella, political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. Now, Daryl, uh, affordability is top of mind with Canadians. We have labor shortages. They continue and CERB-like benefits coming to an end. Do you see this ramping up the uh, anxiety among Canadians? Well, we've definitely seen it ramp up since the, uh, the election campaign. So when we were polling during the election and asking people about inflation and cost of living issues, uh, what we found was that it came in about fourth or fifth, depending on the week that you looked at it, you know, COVID being right at the top. Uh, but in our most recent polling, we've seen it shoot up to uh, number one in our polling. Now, obviously, there's been some recent news about COVID and a new strain that could potentially uh, be challenging healthcare systems all over the world, including Canada. So we might see some fluctuation in those numbers, uh, you know, going forward. Uh, but uh, at the moment, when we ask people what's most on their minds, it's cost of living. And when we look at the cost of living going up almost 5% over the last couple of months, I, I can see how that, that would work. Uh, Marvin, housing affordability, and that works into the uh, the whole thing about inflation as well. Can the government get involved in an industry like that to create more, or will it just get bogged down in minutia? Well, I'm not sure this is a federal problem. It's, it's great to say something in a throne speech and, and send all the right signals, but exactly what are you going to do? Now, about the best they can do is help some people with their first-time purchases. They already have a first-time buyer's program. The problem is it doesn't work in big cities. The cost of housing there is more than the size of the program. And the other thing they could do is try to encourage a bit more of the social housing. That would at least help at the bottom end, people who can't afford the rents. And then that would stimulate maybe provinces to come in and match it, and then some cities to jump in as well. But I'm afraid this is one of those issues on affordability that the prime minister is going to wring his hands, look earnest and honest, but there isn't a lot that he can do on this front. He really needs partners across the board. Well, it, you know, we've had a lot of arguments between the uh, the prime minister and several premiers. Do you expect they're going to continue or perhaps people start working together a bit better? Yeah, you know, that's, again, a really difficult one to figure out. In the case of Ontario, Doug Ford is facing an election of his own in June. 
does he earn points by kissing up and making nice with Justin, or does he earn more points by keeping Justin at arm's length and fighting him? Uh, you might remember it's not part of the question you asked, but the but another issue is, of course, that $10 a day childcare. There's only two provinces that have not bought on to this, New Brunswick and Ontario. Ontario, obviously, is the bigger of the two. Which way is Doug Ford going to go? So if there's a general tone of conciliation and working together, then that will cross many of these issues. I think Justin has tried to reach out a bit, how genuine that is and how many of the provinces feel as genuine. That's an issue for debate. Stephanie, with uh, affordability still and, and $10 a day childcare that Marvin brought up, do you expect the, the other two to, to sign on? And, and will it make a difference considering this is something that's been promised since the 90s? Um, I think Doug Ford is is trying to get as much as he can from the federal government before signing before the election in June, quite frankly. I think the vast majority of Ontarians see the benefit. We're talking about the province where the cost of childcare is the highest in all the country in, in throughout the country. Uh, here in Toronto, it, we're talking about eighteen hundred dollars a month uh, on average. Uh, so so uh, ten dollar a day childcare would be life changing for so many families in the GTA particularly. Particularly. So, so I, I'm, I'm thinking that uh, Mr. Ford is eventually going to sign on before the next election because he knows that this is going to be uh, bringing votes for him. With respect to Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick, he's got a little bit more of a runway. He's got a, a, a comfortable uh, majority in uh, the Legislative Assembly, and he, was, uh, he went up for election in, in, uh, in September two years ago. So, he'll, uh, so, so he can uh, probably play politics a little bit longer uh, on, on this. Um, but uh, at this point, you know, it's really hard to tell uh, which way Mr. Higgs is going to go. Uh, Warren, uh, affordability didn't get a lot of talk during the election campaign. Of course, inflation wasn't uh, up or being reported as, as high at the point. Was that a missed opportunity or, or not playing into the hands of conservatives who are going to end up blaming the liberals? You know, as we look at here, Pierre Pelliev says inflation is is a tax now. And, and uh I don't know how you argue with that. Well, inflation, cost of living was actually towards the end of the election. It was the biggest issue. I think Daryl was the one who, who told us that, that it had overcome uh, climate change and the pandemic. But we're like we're in this world now where you, know, you, you get up in the morning and everything's changed. Uh, firstly, I think the, the, the throne speech was a big snooze. I think it was forgotten 24 hours after it was delivered, you know, and she did a very nice job delivering it and so on. But like, you know, I challenge any normal person to name three things that was in it. The world changed, I think, on Thursday night, Friday morning uh, with the advent of this new variant and the, the horrible and horrifying thing about the variant as we all know now is it's five times more infectious than the previous most dangerous variant and most ominously there's a possibility now being raised it looks like they're preconditioning us for this the vaccines aren't going to work on it or not work well like if that if that's the case guys like daycare uh you know, cost of living, like everything just kind of takes a back seat to that because what we're potentially looking at, you know, today, this morning is going back to March, 2020. And that's, that's a game changer. Oh, is it ever? And, you know, Daryl, how do you see the agenda being hijacked by this uh, Omicron? Hijacked, uh, you know, sideswiped, uh, <laughs> transitioned. I mean, if, if we do go back to what Warren was talking about, um, uh, yeah, obviously it's uh, it, it it changes everything. But one thing that we've been seeing in the polling, though, is that 
people are starting to factor things like this in. So um, the omnipresence of, of, uh, of COVID as a defining issue for everything, everywhere, um, it's difficult to sustain that for as long as we've sustained it. So what's happened is people are, are taking it on board a little bit better. They feel that uh, it can somewhat be managed. They figured out how they live within these kind of circumstances. So they're broadening their, their view of things just a little bit. So that's where the cost of living issue comes in, which is uh, actually very closely related to, to what Warren was just talking about, the uncertainty around this. And it's the effect of that uncertainty and what it does to things like supply chains and, and uh, um, you know, uh, uh, jobs and everything else that, that really is also taking on an importance here. So it's not just the concern about personally getting infected. It's all the consequences of that that seem to be playing a bigger role. But one of the things that we have been seeing in, in not just in Canada, but in our global polling is that people, you know, if, if back through the last, you know, March through to Christmas time, it was running in a nine or a 10, it's now more like a six or a seven or an eight. So it's some of the heats coming out of, come out of it. And really, I think that's a combination of experience and just people being incapable of staying at, you know, red alert 10 for as long as we have. Yeah, it has been a, it's been a long haul with it. That's for sure. Uh, Marvin, you know, th this uh, variant uh, certainly can change the channel, uh, much like the uh, the flooding in, in BC. That one seemed to come right out of the COP26 uh, meetings. And, and how do you see that changing the priorities of this government? Well, let me, let me first start with the Omicron, if I can, for one second. The, the uh, strategy here is the exact same strategy we had when COVID first appeared at the end of December 2019. And that is, if we can trap the virus in Wuhan, if we can keep it in China, then we save the world from a pandemic. Of course, the virus leaked out. And right now we're seeing the same strategy applied. If we can keep this Omicron variant trapped in Southern Africa, maybe we can avoid these worst case scenarios. We know last time people were a little slow towards locking down, say, international travel. This is why this week everyone jumped right out of the gun and, and went crazy for that. Um, so I, I th it's going to be interesting to see if that strategy works. As, as everyone else has said, if it leaks out and we've got something that's like the first wave of COVID, we go back to lockdowns. We've just lost a year and a half of successes that we've built on. Most people were looking forward to 2022 as the start of a year of recovery, as opposed to a year of going back. COP26 was again, um, uh, you know, it's, it's the 26th conference on climate, um, much like the throne speech. Do you remember anything that came out of it that makes a gigantic difference to you? I hear the rhetoric and I like the rhetoric. It seems that we're singing pretty much from the same songbook, but are we prepared to act we just saw in the last week that Canada was one of the few countries whose emissions of carbon dioxide haven't changed much in the last four or five years. And yet we were singing from a climate songbook, we need action. And so this is really an interesting question for Justin Trudeau. If, if he can get, uh, Delta, get COVID and Delta and Omicron, what have you, down someplace, then what is going to be his first action steps? Or will this yet again get tabled because we've got bigger priorities out there? I'm just not getting a clear reading on that. Uh, Stephanie, with, with the uh, the new variant Om Omicron uh, out there, not obviously not at this point, not in, in Canada, but uh, Canada was pretty quick to close the border, and at least to the seven uh, African nations. And do you think that's a lesson learned from the first wave in March 2020 when 
they did not act quite so quick? Well, with respect to Omicron, we know that this variant is already elsewhere in the world. We're essentially punishing southern countries in Africa uh, for being on the ball and actually continuing to test because uh, those countries, you know, have uh, dealt with AIDS in the past. And so they have really good capacities for for, for testing and tracing. And we're essentially punishing those countries now for having detected it first, but we now know that it's already in Israel, it's already in Germany, it's probably already in North America, and we don't know it yet. So unfortunately, this trying to uh, close the borders to a certain number of countries in order to keep this, to keep this variant out, it's already too late. Uh, it's, it's possibly already here in Canada, and I don't want to sound alarmist, uh, but if it's already in Europe, if it's in Belgium, if it's in Germany, it's probably already here. Uh, so, so unfortunately, um, you know, yes, we're we're acting faster than we did in the past, but this may not be the answer that we think it is in order to keep this variant out of the country. Now, Warren, your latest column actually praises the recent messaging by the federal government <laughs> regarding the new variant. And nearly had a heart attack this morning. <laughs> did you? Did you need smelling? <laughs> did you need smelling salts when you yeah. read it? Yeah, no. Well, kidding. like this, this Duclo guy, the new minister of health, is everything that his predecessor is not. He was coherent. He was clear. And he was decisive and uh, he moved quickly. I mean, you know, the Trudeau government uh, said that it was going to take action before the Americans did. Typically, you know, we, we follow them. And um, so he looked quite impressive. So I was moved to say that, you know, they were acting in the right way. But like, you know, this morning, guys, since uh, we've just gotten started, I mean, Israel's not just closed its borders to Southern Africa. It's closed its borders to the world. Israel shut down. And the front pages of the British papers this morning is they are going fully back to a mask mandate and to lockdown. That's what's happening in Britain right now. So that's why I said earlier, not to be alarmist, to me, it's starting to feel a little like March 2020 again. You can see the epidemiologists are starting to couch their language about, well, you know, Vac the vaccines we've got may not work with this. I, I, I don't find that surprising. I think I, all of us get, I get the flu vaccine every year and it's a bit of guesswork. You know, when you get the flu vaccine, they don't know exactly what's going to happen. But, you know, regrettably, this will be seized upon by the anti-vaxxer lunatics and, you know, that far right fringe who are against, you know, all sensible public health measures. So anyway, I think we're heading into um, a pile of shit to be, to be blunt. And, um, you know, the Trudeau guys need to keep doing as they did on Friday, which is act decisively. Uh, Daryl, uh, I'm wondering, uh, obviously, with Omicron, uh, you know, the specter of it rising so quickly here. Uh, and then we looked at the House of Commons where there seems to be a debate about, you know, whether MPs have to be vaccinated or not. Do we expect to see this sort of thrown up as a wedge through this session of the House? Well, there's really no reason to wedge because there's no election. I mean, but although, you know, that is the reflex of every political party is to act like we're in the midst of an election campaign. I think if this does become what Warren was describing and some of your other panelists were describing, then I think probably what we're going to see is very similar to what we saw last, not yeah, last March, was it the previous March? I'm losing track. Yeah, I know. But, uh, you know, public consensus around these things forms really quickly. Uh, people turn it into uh, a non-political event. And that's one of the things that's happening right now in Canadian politics. 
Canadians are politicked out. I mean, they're just, they're really not paying much attention to what's going on in Ottawa, except in an emergency situation like this. And then they expect it's all hands on deck and partisan politics is put aside. And, um, uh, and it's not so much a rallying to the flag uh, as it is uh, a rallying to the, the, the public sector to, to do the job that we have a public sector in place to do. Um, and that's uh, to try and manage this pandemic. And uh, uh, so what I expect is if, if it really is as described, then you're going to see a very, um, a, a very quick shutdown because I think everybody's learned the lessons that we, uh, uh, you know, uh, that we learned by dragging our heels last time around, whether it's effective or not. And that's, and that's really the, the, um, an important aspect of this. It's, it's, it's all, there's almost a performative aspect to, to, to how you manage these things in terms of political communications that I think they tried to take an, an easier approach and, and, and thought that the world, listening to the World Health Organization the last time around was going to buy a lot of credit with Canadians, and it didn't. So I think that uh, the, the government um, it, it is quite wise in terms of how it manages communications after it's been, uh, particularly after it's been through the learning experience, governments all over the country that they've been through over the last while. My expectation is that they will go hard, firm, and, uh, and uh, there won't be any hesitation, just I think as Warren uh, was describing. Uh, Marvin, when we uh, look at a situation like this, and if we have to lock down again, and quite hard and fast, I'm I'm seeing that we're going to need the uh, the return of the CERB payments again, and we talked about affordability and, and debt and deficit, and uh, I think Canadians, much like the first time, won't have a problem with it. How does the opposition argue against it, or does it? Well, there's there's a couple of sides of this. You know, the first time we threw everything at this, and as you know, we borrowed 314 billion dollars to get through the last fiscal year. This year, we're on track to a deficit, about a third of that, about $126 billion. And then that next year was supposed to be 60, get our finances back in order. <clears throat> the ability to keep borrowing great sums of money uh, to fight this, I'm just not sure if that's still in the cards. So is there something else that we can go to? Is it a more selective thing? Uh, again, oddly enough, locking down your country to the world is a lot different than locking down your country internally, saying to some businesses, you're not essential. So restaurants, you shutter yourself. Re uh, stores, you shutter yourself. Oh gosh, and then how are people supposed to pay their bills? Part of the inflation problem that we have is simply the bounce back from a year ago. People always look at inflation compared to the year before. Well, a year before we were locked down, things weren't very good, everything was kind of flat. Now we've got the bounce as we reopen. Uh, it was supposed to be a temporary thing. So uh, Christian Freeland, of course, uh, God bless her, I'm not sure this was what she signed up for when she became finance minister, is which of those ideas from last year can they repeat and repeat quickly, which are necessary to do? Uh, do we have to borrow the same amount of money? And as you pointed out right at the start of our broadcast, the partner to get anything done in a minority parliament is likely going to be the NDP, who by nature would be more prone to throw money at the problem and create programs rather than say, if I, my partner was the conservatives who might look at things that don't cost as much, still might uh, restrict liberty, but might not cost as much. So, you know, I'm just not sure which way that would go. And I'm also not sure if you're the finance minister, you necessarily want to give up on your current plan. When do I have to adjust? What is sort of the minimum amount I have to adjust uh, before I start talking about those big, big numbers? 
Uh, Stephanie, uh, the Liberals did uh, make a, a few moves and uh, they were quick to bring in tougher penalties on those who are harassing healthcare workers. And, you know, I think the majority of Canadians would be in, in support of that. Uh, is that is that enough to get things going, in particular with the Omicron on the horizon? Uh, well, there was a lot of argument about this uh, this decision that the government made because there are already in parts in the criminal code uh, a number of elements that uh, the police forces could have used to uh, to uh, retain those, those people harassing healthcare workers and harassing uh, clinic workers um, and harassing you know children getting vaccinated uh, as we've seen in in a few parts of the country uh, in uh, in in the last uh, week or so. Um, the question is how are you going to implement that right so the, the 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 there there are already legal tools uh but the authorities have not used them so uh whether uh this signal coming from parliament will um give you know, a, a little bit more of an impetus for police forces to to actually um, get get on board and and uh, restrict those uh, those people when they're trying to um, stop <laughs> doctors and nurses from going into into the hospitals, uh, perhaps. Uh, but uh, you know, uh, at the end of the day, those tools were already there, so it, it's really going to be a question of of whether uh, this is finally enforced or not. Uh, and Warren will follow up with you on that one, too. I, you know, enforcement was a, a big issue during the first couple of waves. Uh, you know, we all had the regulations we had to follow. And, of course, you had uh, a bunch of the anti-vax folks uh, or the freedom fighters uh, against it. And, you know, in a lot of situations, the police would just sit there and, and not do anything about it. Do you think we'll get a, a, some action this time around? Oh, we have to, but Professor Srinard is quite right. Like the tools were already there. They already existed. It was just, uh, you know, the willingness of, of police authorities and police agencies to act on it. Like it is just completely unacceptable. It is completely unlawful for that type of activity to be taking place at any time, particularly right now. But I mean, it was symptomatic of a lot of this throne speech, which I think disappeared within hours of it being unveiled. You know, there's a lot of stuff about consultation and discussion and yada, yada, yada. You know, and Trudeau goes out to BC to tour the floods and he's in Abbotsford and announces a commission or a committee with uh, uh, the premier. And as a committee that existed previously, the Trudeau guys got rid of. So it's like just a whole lot of talk. And it's what Daryl said before. People are fed up with talk. They're fed up with, you know, the, the partisan politics. They want to see action. They want to see action that is effective and not repeating some of the bad mistakes of the past. So that's what I'm going to be looking for in the days and the weeks ahead is how they handle what I think is a serious change in the pandemic. Uh, and Daryl, you know, with with the pandemic, obviously, Omicron on, on, Omicron on the horizon, uh, we still have huge devastating damage in British Columbia. And we've got more of that water and rain heading that way today. You know, when you've got, you know, a dual headed monster staring you down in British Columbia, how do you deal with something like that? Well, again, where the public turns is to the only organization that we all agree on should be dealing with these kinds of things, and it's our governments. So there's going to be a lot of pressure on municipal, provincial, and federal governments to work together uh, to try and uh, ease the pressure that's on our, uh, our our fellow citizens in British Columbia. And, uh, you know, the, the Rocky Mountains blocks a lot of us, from, you know, particularly I'm sitting here in Toronto, British Columbia is a long way away. But uh, those pictures that people are seeing on the news are quite devastating. We can all 
we can all see ourselves being in a similar kind of circumstance. But uh, the only collective institution that we've ever come up with to be able to deal with problems like this is government. So that's where the pressure is going to turn. It's going to turn on government. And as Warren said, you know, the uh, you know performative aspects to this and the politicking is not what people are looking for. What they're looking for is real action and improvement. So that'll be a test for all levels of government, I think, in British Columbia. Uh, Marvin, uh, you know, one of the uh, issues we have to deal with, too, and the federal government will have to deal with are, are booster shots, that third dose for for uh, people and with uh, Omicron on the horizon again. Uh, do, you, do you expect to see that rolled out or uh, will they be hanging on to that or maybe distributing to some of the countries that are still trying to get that first uh, that first shot in? Well, to date, the developed world has has said, we're going to help you, uh, lesser developed world, just as soon as we get ourselves vaccinated first. So we've always been uh, holding a lot of vaccine in reserve for our own people. As you know, we've begun to vaccinate children between the ages of five and 12. And now we've recommended a third shot. Uh, just so just in interest of full disclosure, I've had two shots of AstraZeneca and I'm actually in one of the target groups. They say, hmm, you should get one more this time, make it a Moderna or a Pfizer to get a nice little blend of antibodies flowing through your body. And I'm fine with that. But the anti-vaccine crowd joke about, oh, the third vaccine, the fourth vaccine, the fifth. And with Omicron coming, especially if the current vaccine doesn't work uh, or doesn't isn't as effective and we need some variant on the vaccine, that would lead to a fourth round. You know, this this may not be done. Uh, but Ed, if you don't mind, I just want to change the conversation slightly. You know, we were talking about the priorities for the government. And another one that I think Justin really wanted to get to was around truth and reconciliation and our First Nations people. Now, I, I'm a business school person. I'm not the best person to talk about this issue. But I know this residential schools issue is going to unfold probably over a five or 10 year horizon. We've begun to investigate using ground penetrating radar. But just because we identify some potential graves, those may not be the graves of children. You've got to do more work to test, maybe some DNA testing. We need the records. Remember, the Pope was supposed to come to visit in 2022 to, to apologize and perhaps release records. There was a whole agenda there that could be swept away if Omicron roars to the forefront. Uh, Stephanie, that's, uh, you know, we, we look at a number of the issues uh, like uh, military reform, indigenous reconciliation. Do you see a lot of this stuff going to the back of the line uh, until uh, the, the latest variant is dealt with and inflation as well? Well, that's how we'll see if this government can walk and chew gum at the same time. <laughs> Frankly, uh, I I think that some of the uh, some of the issues that the military is facing, for example, uh, is uh, is something that can go ahead while we're fighting um, the 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 COVID nineteen uh, new variant. Uh, quite frankly, uh, and reconciliation. And I think Marvin makes a good point here that some of the elements that have been in, put in place and then for the next few months and the next uh, year or so may be. Uh, put in jeopardy. It's unclear that uh, the Pope will want to come if uh, if the country's locked down, obviously, for example. Uh, but, um, you know, the release of documents, this is definitely still something that could uh, that could be uh, going ahead. Uh, and, uh, you know, there, there's only so much that the government can put on the back of COVID-19 to not make headway into. Uh, there, there's a lot of files here that, uh, quite frankly, uh, different departments and, and different ministers can uh, can can still work on while the pandemic is uh, is still happening and, and we're still trying to get out of that. 
And Warren, you know, obviously the Liberals are in a minority. Uh, the NDP have been working with them. How long do you expect this government to last? <laughs> Four years. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it's the Conservatives are in disarray. They got sniping at their, their leader. They're divided clearly on vaccinations and public health measures. The NDP is tickled pink, you know, no pun intended, because they are in a position of influence with the government. The bloc doesn't seem to be in a hellfire rush to have an election either. So I don't think we're going to have an election anytime soon. Like everybody, we're all running around saying it was an unwanted, unnecessary election. We can hardly now say that we need one. So I think, uh, you know, Trudeau's got a ways uh, to go before he needs to face that challenge. If, in fact, he's the one who's going to be leading the Liberal Party next time. I have my doubts about that. But I think all your panelists are right. I think that uh, we're in this uh, environment where there's a lot of churn issues are moving around a lot. But if this new uh, variant becomes as big as I suspect it will, it's going to change everything. Well, I just hope, uh, as Daryl says, that our governments can work together and get us all out of it as opposed to sit there and uh, sniping at each other. Folks, I, I want to thank you for joining us. Uh, a terrific discussion once again. Our guest today on Unpublished TV, Daryl Bricker, CEO of Ipsis Public Affairs. Marvin Ryder with the DeGroote School of Business at McMaster University. Stephanie Schwinnard is the Assistant Professor of Political Science at Queen's University. And Warren Kinsella, political commentator and former advisor to Prime Minister Jean Chrétien. And I want to thank you for watching Unpublished TV. Stay safe. I'm Ed Hand.